Hello again. I'm so glad you are here and going to spend some time with us today. I'm Emily Danielson, and this podcast is now the home for my husband's teaching outreach ministry. Pastor Chris Danielson opened by using a powerful visual to begin this message about counterfeiting. He started with three $20 bills. One was a photocopy, and it actually came out red. Now, one copy was a grayscale, and the other was a true $20 bill right from his wallet. So now that we've set the stage, we join the presentation in progress at this point entitled Spotting Counterfeits and Breaking Deceptions from the main auditorium at Fresh Encounter Church in Harlan, Iowa. Let's join Chris. I mean, let's look at the backs. I'm guessing that you can spot the counterfeit from where you're sitting. And even our long-range view on, on camera, I bet people can tell that I've got two counterfeits and a real one, don't I? How do you know? How do you know that it's the real one? Well, because you've been taught. Because you've worked and used and spent and handled real money. So now I'll put you to the test. If you are over 21 years old, that's the rule, you have to be over 21, I will let you stand up right now and walk up to me right now and pick whichever one of these 20s you want to take. Ready? Go. There we go. I know the serial number, Brad. We want to see it in the offering box later. (laughs) All of you probably believed, in fact, I saw a hand up go over here, that I was really willing to give away $20 this morning. You thought it might be true, but only one of you stepped out of the crowd and said, yeah, I'll take it. And the reason I wanted to do over 21 is because I know every kid in here would come bum rushing. (laughs) Then we'd have a fight, and then the whole analogy goes out the window. But here's the deal. How do you spot a counterfeit? You spot the counterfeit by studying the original. And when you know you have the original, you know you have something. Now, who wants to take one of these two downtown and try to spend it? Or better yet, go to the bank and try to deposit it. Well, let me tell you, one of of a few things is going to happen. Either they're going to laugh you out of the lobby, or they're going to arrest you for trying to pass counterfeit bills, right? It's the same thing in our spiritual journey. In our spiritual journey, we are commanded by God to be able to spot the counterfeits in our life. And how do you do that? By studying the original, by studying the authentic. Do you know that I have two copiers upstairs, and one of them allowed it to go in grayscale, and the other one put a a red hue over it? Do you know that our copiers come with the technology to not print money in color? My copier, as the 20 was printing twice, each time I did it a second time just to make sure, it recognized it was trying to counterfeit the money and the printer canceled the job and spit these two pages out. My copier is not more than a $150, $200 copier. It's a nice machine. It was donated by somebody for me to have when I got here. It's a beautiful machine for me to print my little sermon notes and stuff. But it's no high-end technology but yet it's built in not to let four-color copies of money go through it. Now, if we have a printer like that, how about we have Christians who can do the same thing? 
who can spot the counterfeits as they're trying to be fed to you in the name of Jesus. I'm not talking about stuff that you know is sinful. You know stuff is sinful. But there's other counterfeits in your life. Now here's, the, here's one of the big takeaways for today. It is not my job to look into your purse and into your wallet to see where your counterfeit is. That's your job. My job is to show you the original so much that when you peek into your wallet, you peek into your purse, and you see the counterfeit there, you yourself eliminate it. Follow? I want us to study the original in real, authentic, so much that the counterfeit will be easily spotted. Now, yes, the church can and should and will speak truths into your life, but the Lord... And the Spirit will do much more in your heart than if I just try to debate with you about what's true and what's not. See, that's why I you know, always say I won't debate people, I'll only proclaim. Because the Spirit of the Lord is so much stronger than me to open your eyes to what is authentic. Now, we live in a society with technology and with interactions that we've never had before. We can interact with each other on social media at such a level and get bombarded with so many different views that it's hard for us to see what's real and what's not anymore. So we need a standard, and we've always needed a standard. And I'm here to proclaim that the standard is God's word. Everything that we need for our salvation is found there. And in there, he tells us to add another thing to our life, and that's prayer and worship. Praying people are saved people. Praying people have the spirit unlocked, the counterfeits that are in their life. And I'm here to tell you, as long as you walk in flesh, you will have counterfeits in your wallet and in your purse. And it's your job to dig them out, not mine. My job is to show you the authentic original. So point number one today is beware of counterfeits. Beware of counterfeits. The text for today is in Ephesians, and that's going to come at the very end of the message. We're going to start, though, in 2 Timothy 3, 7, and 8, and I'm going to use the NLT today a little bit, and it's noted on the screen. But it's a talk in 2 Timothy chapter 3 about how at, towards the end of time, love will grow cold, and people will start listening to all kinds of stuff, and they'll be easily deceived. And verse 7, it says, Such women are forever following new teachings, but they are never able to understand the truth. Verse 8, These teachers oppose the truth, just as Janus and Jambres oppose Moses. They have depraved minds and a counterfeit faith. Who's he talking about? He's not talking about the world. He's talking about people that are inside the visible church. Many have depraved minds and counterfeit faith. Just because somebody has the word pastor or reverend or the building says church doesn't mean it's authentic. You can go into a church and you can hear a pastor who is learned in the Bible and you can just spot the fact that he's trying to spend red 20s on your soul. And how do you know that? Because you have applied Jesus to everything that you're doing. You know the authentic Jesus so well that you can spot the counterfeit. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians 2.9. And we're going to stay in chapter 2 in 2 Thessalonians on and off. But we're starting in verse 9 for this point. And it's talking about the uh, Antichrist coming. 
And it says, this man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit powers and signs and miracles. So take the word counterfeit out of that for a second. The guy's coming with power, signs, and miracles. In fact, there's other scriptures that say God's going to shorten the time or even the elect would be deceived. So he's coming with power and signs and miracles. What's the one problem? It's counterfeit. It doesn't spend. It's a red and gray 20. But it has all the markings. It looks real. No, it's not real. It's deception. And there's an old phrase that you're only deceived until you're not deceived anymore, until your eyes are opened. I want to give you an example of deception, too. So I know that we live in a different world now, and I don't think, in fact, I know buying a house was never the same way. The house we bought here in Iowa is our sixth house we've purchased. And we didn't want to do that. It's just how life has churned out, how God has done our, done our deal. Well, let me tell you what happens when you buy a house. They, at closing, with different title companies in different states, it's different everywhere you go, but they will do estimates for you for your closing, for your closing worksheet. Now, if you've got some equity in your home and you're selling your home and you're the seller, they take all this money, and then they give you back what they think you deserve. That's how it feels. <laughs> so they do this worksheet, and it comes that you're going to get this much money back, and that you've got to spend this to the titling company, this for your escrow, this for you know, your insurance, this for that. And so what happens at the end of the day? Okay, this happened when we moved to Alabama, this happened when we moved to Kansas, and it happened when we moved to Iowa. A month after you close, you start getting these letters in the mail. Like, I got this one from Iowa Bankers. This one from Iowa Bankers. I open it up, and it says, your escrow, you paid too much on your escrow. Here's your refund, $192.86, real check. Well, this is a copy of a real check that went in the bank, but I held it for this analogy. Okay, so pretend it's a real check, because it is. So you get these things in the mail, you have to open them. I opened one that was $2,000. All those Kansas people with my house insurance, they, they took their whole year of house insurance like a day before we closed. So then they had to refund it, right? So around the time this came, I also got a check for $2,000 that my escrow was way over in Kansas. I got another one I think was like $90, and then I got a fourth one from the title company that overestimated, and that was like $170. So what do you think happens when you move into a new place? When you move into a new place, your name and likeness gets sent off to everybody, and they want to market to you. So they want to market you their wares as a new homeowner in a new town. So I'm going to put it on the screen. I took a picture of it and put it on the screen. Look what, look what came in. Can you see it? It says, time-sensitive, county deed records. Oh, that's serious. That's serious. Signature required. Oh, and then I look in the little window, to the order of. What does that tell you? There's money in here. It's another thing that I overpaid because I don't know what I'm doing. I just let my realtors do their thing, and I just sign where I'm told. And so I open it up. How many of you are not going to open this up? Nobody. We're all going to open it up. Well, you know what the check is? 
it's a free registration voucher worth $199 if I sign up for their $1,000 service. And what is their service? Their service is home warranty. The property's home warranty may be expiring or may soon have expired. I thought it was just the automobile warranty people that did deceptive practices. No, it's deceptive practices for this. So now ask yourself this question, because I asked myself this question. Why would I ever do business with somebody who's trying to deceive me to get me to look at their material? So my water heater goes out. You think that I'm going to call up deceptive you know, company here, and they're going to just, yeah, well, how much did you, here's a check. No, I would never do business with this, because I know what they're trying to do. In marketing, it's all about math. When you do direct mail, if you can get 5% of people to open the mail, then 2% of those who open it will respond. That 2% equals X amount of dollars in margin, which justifies my direct mailing campaign. That's how it works. And it's no different in our spiritual life. When we use deceptive practices to try to advance God's kingdom, it leaves a foul taste in people's mouth. Maybe not today, but soon. Which is why we cannot be deceptive in our practices with the truth. The ends don't justify the means. This is why when people do altar calls and they play the music and they sing Just As I Am for 15 verses and then they have the hydraulics lift the floor up to drive people towards the front (laughs) and then they add it up, we had 22 converts today, yay us. And then they send out letters, we had 22 converts, thank you for your gift. If you donate another $30 a month, we will reach more people for the kingdom. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10 says this. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10 says, And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. They refuse to look in their purse and their wallet for the counterfeits that they know are there. They refuse to love the truth. They love their deception more. It was more comfortable in the dark than standing there with the light in their eyes. And you're always deceived until that one moment when you're not deceived anymore, when your eyes are opened. And let me tell you something. When, you're, when you've been walking in deception for so long and all of a sudden your eyes get opened, one of the things that happens to us as humans, we get embarrassed. How could I have thought that way for so long? That's why authentic Christians always are there with a kind, encouraging word and forgiveness. Because we've also been embarrassed until we were not deceived anymore. In 1 John 4, 6, it says this. It says, but we belong to God, and those who know God listen to us. If they do not belong to God, they do not listen to us. That is how we know if someone has the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception. What is the listen to us? Is it me and and the other leadership here? No. The listen to us in this passage refers to believing the Bible. Listen to us. That's professing the Bible as your final authority and believing the Bible as your final authority. What's the difference between profession and belief? Well, Neil T. Anderson put it best. 
He said, people won't always live out what they profess, but they'll always live out what they actually believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved is not a backlance thought that, oh yeah, Jesus is okay. I believe he's the Savior. No, believing is believing where you go all in with that belief. Many of you right now have an incredible belief that you don't even know you have. In fact, I'll share it with you. All of you believe that the chair you're sitting in right now is going to hold up for the service. Or you wouldn't be sitting the way you're sitting. Right? See, one of the deception things that I would love us to break through is that if anybody in this auditorium thinks that they can be a Lone Ranger Christian, I want you to know you're deceived. I don't care how strong you are. I don't care how long you've been walking alone. Lone Ranger Christianity is a weak Christianity, if it's Christianity at all. We are always better together. We are always better together with true believers. And I'm here as an answer to prayer. My prayer was answered. My prayer was real simple. Lord, send me to a small town in America where I can live a simple life with other believers who are sold out for you. I don't care if that's five. I don't care if that's 500. I don't care if that's 5,000. I just want to find authentic believers who are not deceived, who are not counterfeit, who understand that the real Jesus may not change their circumstances, but it'll change them inside their circumstances, and we can live out our faith together. And God sent me here to y'all. And I've been looking around, and, I, and I'm just, I'm over, I'm over the moon, ecstatic with how many authentic Christians I've met. Well, Chris, do you think out of the dozen that you would identify as authentic Christians, some might be fakers? Maybe. But a couple of them, if they are, they're the best actors I've seen. Also, I did the message, wheat and tares. It's not my job to sort out who's the tear. Oh, who's the counterfeit? Let's figure out who's the counterfeit. I think she's sitting over there. I don't want to, you know. <laughs> no, she's, she's as authentic as it comes. No, we're not trying to count out all the counterfeits around us. You're trying to figure out the counterfeit in your heart, in your life. You have idols in your life. I have idols in my life. It says pick up your cross daily. What's a cross? It's an execution device. You execute these falsehoods in your wallet, in your purse, your spiritual wallet and your spiritual purse. And you, it's an ongoing process. And so then we walk in victory. What does that look like? What does it look like in point number three to walk in victory? Well, it's what do you do with what you got? What do you do with what you have? I call it exporting the gospel or shipping out the gospel because the gospel is what we have. Let me give you an example. Say you go to an oil refinery and you go to this oil refinery for a tour and you're with a bunch of people and you're learning all about how they refine oil into gas and into lubricants that are used for these wind machines. <laughs> it's true, it's kind of funny to me. Um, the wind machines, they, they need oil lubrication. They have a carbon footprint to even install them and operate them. Whole nother story for another day. So you're at the oil refinery and they're showing you around. 
And they're showing you how they process all this stuff. And they get done, they thank you, and they give you the button and the T-shirt, and thank you for taking the tour. And you say, hey, wait a minute, where's the shipping department? The person giving the tour looks at you confused. I, I don't understand. No, no, where do you ship it out? And the tour guide looks at you and says, no, no, we don't have a shipping department. Everything that we refine here, we use to keep the refinery going. How many churches you know like that? Where do you ship it out? How do you ship it out? If you don't ship it out, are you walking in victory? Victory is shipping out the gospel. That's what we have. And sometimes it's not completely laying it out the Romans road and, hey, you know, come be born again, say the sinner's prayer. That's not necessarily it. Sometimes it's just loving somebody. We have a shipping it out gospel thing in our church that's called the meal train. And you can sign up for the meal train through the insider. What a beautiful way to show Christ's love to one another, the meal train. See, our victory starts with the shipping department, with sending it out, exporting what we have, defining and then doing your mission. What is your mission? I don't know. But if you know Jesus, and even if you're knowing that Jesus is tugging on you and calling you and you haven't really crossed over, you have a mission. And we're about to, after the service today, show you that you can get plugged in to so many little things that can start your journey in missions. And maybe that's all it is. Maybe all you ever do is hand out communion once a month at church, and that's how you're going to serve Jesus here at Fresh Encounter. But at least you're doing it. Somebody says, well, I've never been asked. You're being asked right now. You're being asked right now to spend 10, 15 minutes after the service to learn how you can get plugged in and you can be a part of what we got going on and find your mission. Now, your mission might not last. You might say, hey, I want to teach Sunday school, and then you get in there and you realize, I can't handle this. You know? I mean, I'll tell you this right now. God has to open up my eyes and do a miraculous thing for me ever to ride a bus with a bunch of junior highs ever again. I'm not built for it anymore. But I know somebody like my wife or somebody like some of the people in here, like Deb King, amazing. They could do this all day and every day. They're laughing and singing with the kids. And I'm just looking over at Johnny like, you know, you're lucky you're only 13, Johnny. <laughs> I'm just being real with you. I have my mission. And my mission needs to expand. I need to do other things. But I know that I'm called to do this. So I got, I mean, I got it kind of easy. I know what my role is. And I'm, I'm defining what the senior pastor role is here for Fresh Encounter because you've had a year and a half without a pastor. And so we've got to figure it out. Where do we want to go from here? You know, where do you want to go from here? What part do you want to play? And if you say, I don't want no part, I just want to be left alone, I just want to come and worship, I'm telling you, that's counterfeit. Jesus will never say that to your heart. If you find a place as nice as Fresh Encounter, as far as come as you are, leave change, Jesus Christ growing in you, you will have a tug in your heart that will want to do something with us. And I'm giving you an invitation right now to do something with us. Find out what it is after the service. I didn't come up with the idea to break bread together and to do these meals, but I've been to two of them now, or three of them. Should have been to four, I think. 
I missed one. It's a beautiful thing, breaking bread together like that, getting to know each other. And you're invited. So if our mission is defined in the Bible, what is it? Well, let me show you. Our mission has been defined for us in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And when I read this to you, you're going to say, Chris, I don't know what having dinner at your house is going to matter with this. I don't know what, you know, being nice to the guy at the gas station or, hey, you know, that that lady that's in front of me in the checkout stand lost her wallet, so I'm going to pick up her $58 tab just as an act of love. I I don't see that in this verse that you're about to share. I'm telling you, it's there. Look at it with me. And Jesus came to him and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. That means that's our king. That means when he says it and wills it, we want it. Verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. There's your action. Go. Some of us, when we go, It's to Fresh Encounter on Tarkington Street on Sunday. That's where we go for now. And then Monday through Saturday, you go where you need to go, where God has sent you. But you're still his. And then verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's our mission. And let me tell you something. If you want to walk in victory, I don't care what it is. It always rides in on one thing. Victory always rides in on effort. You're not willing to give any effort, then you don't want victory. Now, we claim the effort of our king. Make no mistake, while we were yet sinners, he did the effort. He endured the entire deal, the suffering, the shame, the pain, and his perfect life became a sacrificial death, sacrificed in our place. We deserved the punishment, you do and I do, but he took it on himself, his effort. And then we get that free by simple faith, covering our lives, our eternal lives through his effort. We get to claim his victory. That's why it's called the good news. Now, why is this important in this time? Because the time of mind-bending, counterfeiting, and deception is upon us right now. Counterfeiting and deception run rampant through all societies worldwide at a level that I can't, couldn't even comprehend 20 years ago. And I'm here to testify that counterfeiting and deception are alive, strong, and well in what I call the visible church all over the world. The worst offender, in my opinion, is what is called in the church industry, and there is an industry, of seeker sensitivity. See, if you come into here, all of us who are mature, born-again Christians, we got to set that aside if we're going to be a seeker-sensitive church. We, we don't have leave change. We just have come as you are. And then we let you influence everything that we do. Oh, hey, did we say a Bible verse that was offensive? Did the pastor use the word hell? Oh, I'm sorry. Next week he'll say separated from Christ for eternity. Would that make you feel better? We're going to do everything so that you feel comfortable here. We're going to try to put on a show. We're going to try to do it so that you want to come to church and by osmosis you'll like church and you'll like Jesus and then maybe you'll be forgiven of your sins. This was started by a man named Bill Hybels 
in a church called Willow Creek. And in October of 2008, Bill Hybels came out publicly for five minutes, and he said this. He said, I was deceived. I was wrong. The church needs to be made up of those of us who are soundly saved in our justification, working on sanctification, and then welcoming all these other sinful people in. I don't want to go to that church. They're full of hypocrites. Nah, they're not full. They got room for one more. Come on. <laughs> hey, you want the truth? I'll give you the truth. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12. It says, Therefore God sends them a strong delusion, so that they may believe what is false. Many people believe what is false. Many people believe what is false about themselves. Many people believe that they're number one. We have so many people right now that are under the delusion and the deception that they are, in fact, their own God. You say, well, people don't say that. Yes, they do. They say it in their own way. You just got to have ears to see, or ears to hear and eyes to see. You got to be able to see it. If I demand that you use a different pronoun for me, other than what's common to man, I have elevated myself to godlike status, and if you don't say what I want you to say, you are blaspheming, and you need to be punished, because that's how we rule where Chris is God. See, Christians don't roll that way, and that's what makes us a threat to those who want to be their own gods. That's why they don't like us, because we say, well, who are you to say this, that, and the other? I'm like, hey, we're all born into sin. Uh, I was born that way. We're all born into sin. I don't know. We're all born into sin. We're all dead in our trespasses. And we have one shot. We have one hope. We have one opportunity in all of eternity. And that is the blood of Jesus Christ shed for you. There ain't nothing else. Well, that's a little narrow. That's, well, that could be your truth. It doesn't have to be my truth. No, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If we take him, we take him as he is, which is full of spirit, of love, and truth. And if you want to take Jesus and just add him on to what you got going on, you're deceived. He doesn't play that. He's the God of the universe. He created you. He's not sidling up next to you to be your co-pilot. If Jesus is the co-pilot, change seats. No. If Jesus is your co-pilot repent and go to the back of the plane and let him fly by himself. We get so caught up into our own significance. Our significance is that we are loved by Jesus Christ way beyond what we're worthy of, and yet we bask in that love every day even though we don't deserve it. Verse 12, in order that we may be condemned who did not believe in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So you go to the doctor, and he knows you got a terminal disease, but he doesn't want to make you feel bad. You're probably having a bad day. So he does not want to tell you that you're going to die. The other thing is he has the antidote for your ailment that's going to kill you, but he doesn't want to give it to you because it might offend you. It might make you feel uncomfortable. Is that a good doctor? No, it's a quack. 
So why do you put up with quacks in the pulpit all around the country asking for a friend? We're going to do something that I call Mission Andrew. And I got the cards for those of you who choose to stay after service today. They're little Fresh Encounter cards. They've got a quote on the back. And this is how you invite people to church. Invite people to church. Especially men. Especially you men invite people to church. And you say, well, that's offensive to me. Let me tell you why. If we do VBS and a child comes from a home that's unsaved, and that child gets saved at VBS, 13% of those families will then get saved. If you have a woman that comes to a woman's Bible study and gets saved, goes back to her home, 37 or 38% of those families come to know Jesus as their Savior. But if the dad, the father, the man of the house, if he goes to a men's group or men's event or comes into a fresh encounter and gets saved... You know what the number is? 96% of those families come to Jesus. And and here's another thing, guys. Let me just share this little nugget of truth with you. On judgment day, it ain't your wife who's going to stand there and take account for how you managed your family spiritually. It's you. It's you. God has said you will be responsible. And so here's another thing. If you're a pastor and you stand here, God's going to hold the pastor responsible for what he said to y'all. And I'm sorry, I don't have it in me to put up with you losers. (laughs) I'm a loser myself, so let's roll with it. No, on Judgment Day, when you're there... And God's, you know, look, on Judgment Day, if you are part of the sheep family that I've been assigned as pastor, I'm pretty sure, I'm guessing, I'm speculating that I'm going to be there. And Jesus is going to look at you or me. He's going to look at you and he's going to point at me and he's going to say, he told you. Why didn't you listen? Here's what's not going to happen. He's not going to look at me and say, you knew and you didn't tell him. That ain't going to happen. Mission Andrew is a cutesy way to say invite people to church. Why? Andrew, the apostle Andrew, did nothing. He didn't write a sermon. He didn't speak a sermon. He didn't write a book. All he did was one thing. He just brought people to Jesus. Just brought them. He brought his brother. He brought the boy with the fish and the loaves. So Mission Andrew is simply inviting people to church. And my job and the leadership's job here is to make sure that we speak the truth of Jesus every Sunday. We feed good food, good spiritual food. So Mission Andrew's coming. But let's go to the great victory passage to close today. I wanted to give you a great victory passage so that you can hear from the Word of God more so than me what it means to walk in victory. It's in Ephesians 1, 17 through 23. You ready? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Those connection cards you all fill out, they mean something to me because I think about you and I try to put a name with a face and I pray for you. And I want you to have 
the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and all knowledge of him. Verse 18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which, you, to which he, capital H, he, Jesus, has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places. Verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. I want you to be filled with the all in all. I don't want you to be deceived. I don't want you to walk around with red bills in your spiritual wallet. I want you to know the truth. And I want you to join me. I want you to join me even if it's just given a half an hour a month. Can you give a half an hour a month to the church to do some stuff? Can you get out of your comfort zone for 20 minutes? Well, I encourage you to stay band, let's go. And the rest of us, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and thank you. Lord, I ask you to help me with my deception. I ask you to help me with my counterfeits, my emotions that sometimes get in the way of the truth. And Lord, as we see them together, I'm so grateful that you forgive me. And may we have that same love and forgiveness in our hearts for others. And may we all come together as one body to serve you in this time and in this culture for your kingdom to come. Bless us, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. To connect with us directly, go to BibleIdiots.com and look for the email address in the upper left-hand corner. We would love to hear from you. You can also connect with us on Facebook. Simply search Bible Idiots. I'm Emily Danielson, and if you like what you hear, please share this with the people in your world.